Hey folks, welcome to another episode of The Electables. Uh, this is Doug Thornell. I'm joined uh, as always by super producer, Michael Peliquin. Mike, how you doing today? This doing Sunday well. morning? Yeah, doing good. How are you doing, Doug? I'm all right, I'm all right. We're doing a little, uh, doing things a little bit different today. We've got, uh, we're gonna do this, uh, we're gonna have a video, we're gonna have a, a video of this uh, podcast available for folks. Um, it's a special one to me. Um, it's also going to be obviously available on all the uh, podcast platforms where you can find the electables. But uh, we're 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 uh, twisting it up a little bit, moving into the uh, 21st century. Thank you for calling an audible mic and getting it done. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So uh, today I'm joined by uh, two. Uh, <laughs> Two very important people to me, my two best friends, uh, John Bernthal, who's been on the show before. In fact, he was on the show almost a year ago. Um, John is a very well-known actor. Um, he uh, was most recently in uh, Ford and Ferrari and uh, Ford versus Ferrari and uh, just actually dropped a new uh, uh, new movie, a, t- a new trailer for um, a movie called Small Engine Repair. Johnny Bernthal, welcome back to the Electables. We missed you. Thank you, Douglas. Miss you too, man. It's good to see your voice. Mike, hello, man. And then uh, my other best friend, Gareth Schweitzer. Gareth is a, uh, uh, a, a leading market researcher in Polster. He's, uh, he founded a company called Kelton Research. Gareth is out in, um, in California. Uh, Gareth also, before he got into that business, he was uh, one of the youngest, if not the youngest White House correspondent report, White House correspondents um, back when he was living in DC with me. Uh, this was back in 2001 and two. He covered the Bush White House. He also went to Iraq and covered the war there. Um, so uh, Gareth's never been on the show before, but I coaxed him into joining uh, me and Johnny today. Gary. Yeah. You nailed my my biggest claim to fame, former roommate of Doug Thornell and That's right. ba- bag carrier at premieres for John Bernthal. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Well, you've gone on to do some things. Yeah, a couple of things. <laughs> Had a couple of kids. That's about it. Had a couple of kids. Um so guys, how how are you holding up right now? How are you doing in the uh in this other world we're living in? John, how are you? How are you dealing with the pandemic? Are you able to, um, I know there was a period of time when you, when things in Hollywood shut down, um, are you back to um, filming? Uh, I, I, yeah, I am, Dougie. I mean, we, we uh, I was sort of caught in the middle of, of, of three projects, you know, right when the, the, the big shutdown took place. It's why I've been saddled with this uh, mustache for the entire uh, quarantine. My wife won't make out with me and my kids, just love tugging on it and making fun <laughs> of me every chance they get. But uh, we are back to work now. I was I was shooting the Sopranos prequel. Um, we we only had two days of reshoots on that, um, and we did get to finish that. Uh, flew to New York and finished that. And um, look, man, go, going going to New York was um, you know normally something I I, I, uh, I it, it's 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 pretty normal for me. I, I spent a lot of time there. I've been shooting a lot of TV series there. For me to to kind of travel to New York now was was pretty eye opening. I mean, it's it's I, I live in a really small town, as you know, in, in in California, and I just sort of think sociologically seeing <clears throat> New York now and 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 just seeing the tenor of the place, what it's clearly been through. Um, it was, uh, it was eye opening, And I, I think now in a time that, you know, there is so much less travel going on and we're so reduced to, uh, you know, the experiences of our own bubbles and our own kind of echo chambers that we create for ourselves over social media, uh, you know, getting out and seeing that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back to my movie here in, in, in LA, this, this movie about the uh, Will Smith plays their their dad, Richard Williams. I play their coach, Rick Macy. We're back to shooting that, and look, you know, making making movies with masks on. It's uh, it's complicated, it's different, but uh, I'm enormously you know grateful to be back to work. And and what type of protocols have you had to institute on sets and prior to going to this set? I know you're you're getting tested quite a bit. You gotta, I assume, when you're not when you're actually not 
in a scene, you got to wear a mask. Like walk us through what it looks like to shoot a movie in Hollywood these days, um, especially it, a movie with like you and Will Smith. I mean, it's a big deal. I assume it's a big budget yeah, film. How do you guys take yeah, precautions? I mean, look, it's, it is, it's a, you know, big, big, big budget film, big studio film. So it's a, it's a huge crew. Uh, everybody on the crew, um, you have to test uh, three times a week. Uh, there's COVID police uh, that they're called on set. Um, everyone's in masks and face masks, uh, like face shields. So, you know, you don't, re- the, the weird thing is you don't know who anyone is. Uh, you know, it's, it's really hard <laughs> to recognize each other. Um, you know, obviously the actors can't wear masks, you know, during takes. Um, but as soon as the take is over, you've got to put on a mask and there will be a COVID sort of police officer that will remind you of that. Um, look, I, you know, look, I, I mean, it's great. It's, it's, um, there's always been a sense. One of, one of the things I, I like least about my profession is I think on set, there's always been sort of this like hierarchy of things. I, 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 I think the sets that sort of turn out um, better work are ones where it's more equitable, where everyone sort of knows we're in this together. And the COVID thing is definitely the great, the great equalizer. Um, but, you know, I, uh, it, it is strange. I think it puts a, it, so much of what the work kind of requires is this intimacy, getting really close with people. You've got hair, makeup, uh, wardrobe, sound. That requires for people to kind of be all over you. You know, my, my hair belongs to hair. My face belongs to makeup. My clothes belong to the wardrobe department. They have to feel free to come and touch me and manipulate me any way that they want. Um, and so now everyone's just doing it with uh you know masks and 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 face shields you don't really know whose whose hands are all over you but again i i I think so much of you know this 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 industry is made up of you you know you you know in the movie you just you you see the 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 idiots that that wear makeups and say lines for a living but you know the movies are made by you know huge groups of people and no one's been able to work for a really long time. So, you know, whatever sort of drawback this is or whatever sort of hindrance this is or makes it a little bit less fun and less personal, certainly worth it just to get everybody back to work. Gary, um, you run a, uh, a major polling and market research uh, company. Um, you have offices um, in multiple places uh, and, um, uh, you know, lots of employees, how have you been able to, as the CEO of this, of this company, how have you adjusted? How is the, how is Kelton global adjusted? How have you adjusted both from like managing your, your, your team and your staff, but also doing what you're, you know, fielding polls and, and sort of, you know, delivering for your clients. How has that been affected by um, the pandemic? Well, on a personal level, I mean, I have a uh, an eight-year-old office mate now who's looking <laughs> over my shoulder and making sure I'm actually working hard every day. So I'm probably working harder than I did before. Yep. Um, you know, get I him to work, Benji. Of, yeah, guy standing behind me. He's like, I didn't say it was break time yet. Get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think for a lot of people, you know, you got to kind of dial into your employees' personal lives before you even talk about work lives. I mean, we got a lot of people who you know, have two or three kids at home. They got no childcare. They're trying to bang out a work day while getting three kids through a school day. And none of this is easy for people. And we just keep telling everybody, like, make sure you're in touch with how people are feeling personally and what's going on in their lives. Like, do they have a parent they're taking care of or who's living with them? Because all that stuff just dictates what you can get out of the day and what you can expect out of people. You know, on the polling front, I think we're just asking a lot more common sense questions about COVID, about the same things that are going on in our employees' lives, how people in their home lives are dealing with that, and how that's how that's sort of manifesting in their perceptions of the world around them. So I think it's changed a lot of stuff. You know, I think our business, people are actually kind of pining to get back to work. But work's going to look a little different. I think people have realized like the idea that you wake up every morning and get in a car and drive an hour to work somewhere and then spend an hour driving home five days a week and never actually think through whether you need to be doing that is just nonsensical and not the world we're going to go back to. Like there's still moments where collaboration and being around other human beings is important. And like offices are not going to die out. We're all still going to get together in those places. 
but it is not going to be in the kind of regimented way that people were used to before. People are going to have a lot more flexibility in their lives to manage their kids, manage their personal lives, get work done how they want to, and then get together when it really makes sense, not just because it happens to be a Monday and you just kind of mindlessly get in the car. So both you guys have three kids. Um, you're working, uh, you know, um, in high pressure jobs. I mean, how has that been, especially working, Gareth, you're working, you know, largely from home. Um, and John, you have to go back and forth. But I mean, how has that been? Do you, because I, I don't, are your kids actually, I assume they're doing virtual schools, right? They are. I mean, my, it's like Lord of the Flies. My, my children fight for the conch every morning and the one that wins gets to dictate how the day, day takes place. What about you, Doc? No, I mean, look, you know, lucky enough, you know, look, my, my kids are recently back in, in, in school. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, uh, but, but, you know, I was there, I was there with, you know, exactly what Gareth's talking about for a long time. You know, that when, when, when things were shut down, you know, I was, my job really was, was writing and trying to sell, you know, my projects. And there's were certain days where just the kids literally, just hijacked any possibility of that happening. And um, look, it's, it's what people are, are, are going through all over the country. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that, that, that the kids are back in school um, for me, definitely, but also just really for them. I, I, I think that, you know, look, it's, it's going to be years where we see the effects of this thing and what, what it takes on all of us. Um, for, for me, it's that, you know, the single, you know, driving force of why I, I, I kind of take this election so personally. Um, but I, I, I think for people, you know, our parents' age, for people our age, for our kids, um, this is going to affect all of us in, very, in many different ways. But I, I was really seeing with, the, with my, my kids, you know, they're like Garris, you know, uh, you know, nine, seven and five, you know, they, 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 they need to be, uh, their lives need to, they need to have social interaction, you know, they, they need more. Um, and, um, our, our single most important job as a parent is to keep them safe, you know? And so you got these two things that are constantly playing at each other. And, um, it's just, uh, it's a shame that we're here and we need to, uh, we need to get through it, you know? And let's be absolutely 100% honest here. Both of you guys punched well above your weight when you married. <laughs> so you've got two great wives, right? And, um, you know, that has been, you know, I can imagine that there's just, you know, the, you know, for, for you, Gareth, for Jen and for Aaron, um, John, I mean, what's that, how has that relationship been where you're, you know, they're, you guys are seeing each other a lot more. You're both parents, teachers, gym teachers. How, I mean, how I assume, you know, I mean, what's that been like? Well, it's funny. I, I always say like, I, I definitely punched above my weight. Punching above my weight though was just getting married in the first place. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> yes. job, job well done, me. You know? Good job. <laughs> you know, I, but it's funny. Like, I, I always think about marriages and, you know, Jen did not sign up to spend 24 hours a day with me. Like she Good signed God. up for me to like go to work, to take work trips, to have time without me. So I think it's been, uh, it's been for a lot of people pretty intense. You know, I think yeah. at the same time, it's been, it's been an amazing bonding experience. I mean, we wake up every single day in this house and the five of us have to navigate our personal relationships, have to make the house work. We've got to make school and work happen. And we kind of got to get to the end of the day and be smiling about it, or you just can't be happy. And so like, I'm actually super proud when I look at my family of like how everybody has dealt with this. And there's no way we would be as close as a family we, as, as we are because of this. Um, so so I, there's some things to be grateful for in everything, right? Definitely. Hopefully you're eating your spaghetti in a separate room now. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's, um, that's genetic. You know that, yeah, right? I, yeah. I have three it's a whole family, family of slurping. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth is the most annoying eater, uh, or one of them that uh, I've ever met, but it's okay. He's working on it. Um, <laughs> all right. So just in terms of like, in terms of passing time, what are, um, you know, and I always go to these guys when I'm looking for something to, you know, like to binge watch or some good, you know, something to watch job. What are you binge watching these days? Oh man. Anything? Uh, you know, uh, right now I'm kind of, um, 
right now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on a, I, I'm not right now. I mean, I watched, um, um, I may destroy you, which, which was, I think probably the last one that I binge watched. I'm actually, you know, it's kind of like what Gareth was saying about just this pandemic. I mean, I think there's been silver linings all over it. And if, and, and if you don't see them, you just got to kind of look harder. Um, and, and clearly, you know, like the intensified time with, with, with family. And, you know, for me, I, I spent like 10 years of the, the year on the road. So this has been kind of awesome, the, the, the time that I've gotten with the kids. But, you know, I've actually been uh, strange. I know, Dougie, you'll, you'll find this hard to believe, but I've just been reading a lot. Uh, uh, <laughs> you can read? Books, reading books, <laughs> Dougie. No, um, Aaron, read. Aaron's, been, Aaron's been reading to him. Is what yeah, right. Great big pictures and huge right. words. Amazing. <laughs> No, but uh, it's I a just, puppet show. You know, I'm I'm really trying to set aside, um, you you, you know, I'm I'm trying to set aside a, a real time of the day where I, where I just do that, where I I I, I I'm I'm really getting um, and, and I've read, I mean, I've read a lot of books over this this time. But the last one I read is this book called Ohio, um, which is just unbelievable, and I I, I strongly strongly suggest. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I I could definitely give you a list of some good books to check out, but but the last good good series I'd say would be I May Destroy You on HBO. Uh, Gary, what about you, my friend? Uh, we are blowing through Fargo on uh, which John I think is FX and Hulu yeah. now, right? Um, and all four seasons of it are different, and they're fantastic. I mean, you can you can get through a season of that real quick. Um, it's like a good, it's a Coen brothers thing. So it's a good, um, good mix of like violence and insanity and humor, uh, and everything that those guys pile into a show. So we've been loving that. Yeah. That's on my list. I've, uh, I've done, um, Lovecraft country. Uh, is that good, Dougie? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, uh, I just finished a show on Amazon called the boys. Uh, which is a kind of a superhero, a different take on a superhero on the superhero genre. Um, so, um, but you know, um, your, uh, do your political clients know that you're watching four hours of TV a day? <laughs> <laughs> I do it at three in the morning. <laughs> um, so, uh, Gareth, as a pollster, you know one of the things that obviously I consume tons and tons of research and data just based off of my job and looking at polling. And, you know, as, as a pollster, you don't do a lot of political polling, but you do a lot of non-political polling. But uh, as you look at um, sort of these, these polls that are coming out right now uh, for the presidential race, um, what, uh, what's your take? Uh, And, you know, look, like both you guys are Democrats. We're both, we're all, we all grew up, you know, in pretty, uh, in, in democratic families, um, we're all supporting Joe Biden. Um, but, and we all lived through 2016, right? Where, um, not just us, but all Democrats looked at polling and were, um, you know, really surprised about the outcome because some of the state polling indicated it was going to go a different direction. But so just as an expert in polling, what is it? What do you what's your what do you what are you seeing in the poll? Is there cause for concern for Democrats? Is there cause for some some optimism? What's your take? You know, I think there's cause for cautious optimism, I would say, you know, I, I think like polling because so many different entities poll now, it's become a bit like the news. You can find a poll that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Um, so if you're a Republican, you can look at the Trafalgar's of the world and you'll find polls that make you feel great. Uh, Democrats can find the same thing on their side. I do think a lot of the high quality polls took steps to rectify um, what happened in some of the swing states last year, uh, last time around, which looks like they just underrepresented lower education voters. And so you're probably getting a little bit more of an accurate read from those polls. But the reason the polling averages exist is because they try to balance all this stuff out. And so if you're looking at the polls as a Democrat, and you're looking at Pennsylvania and you're feeling great about it because Pennsylvania's got a four to six point Biden advantage, you probably should. I mean, four points in a poll in a polling average is something that based on a slight mistake in the turnout model, 
um, could end up swinging Trump's way. Um, I think the same thing for Trump voters who are looking at polls and seeing Trump up a point in Georgia or a point in North Carolina. If you're feeling great about that, you could be in for a big surprise on election day. So I look at those polling averages and you've got a whole slew of states that are tight going into election day. The thing that should make Democrats just a little bit more optimistic is Trump has to win a lot more of those states to become president. And so if you take the balance of those, you know, do I think things probably lean in Biden's favor? I think things probably lean in Biden's favor, but there's no sure things this year. John, um, you were on the show uh, back in November of 19. This was before, you know, the primaries hadn't started yet. Um, but we were on the, we were, you know, right, we were coming up to the Iowa caucuses, which kicked everything off. And at that point, you were undecided in who you were supporting. Um, but, you know, you made clear that, you know, you were the, the, just the how important it was that we supported whoever it is, we beat, we beat Donald Trump. Um, but as this campaign has gone on, what, what has impressed you about Joe Biden as a candidate? And, um, you know, what has, uh, are you, you know, are you looking back at where we were a year ago and where we are today? Um, is there anything about like, sort of, do you, I don't know who you ended up supporting in California, but I just want to get your thoughts on how you think, you know, Joe Biden has done as a candidate in your, in your mind. Look, I, I, I mean, listen, as, as both of you guys know, I mean, I, I, I leave sort of like the political expertise to you guys. I mean, I, 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 I kind of, um, I, 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 I trust you both and I, and, and I kind of follow your lead in that. And so I don't know, I don't know if I'm the best guy to answer that. I, what I will say is look, I mean, when, well, you're a human being who follows the news. Yeah, so I, yeah, I just wanted to, I just I wanted to, you know, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, John's yeah. not a political strategist, but he's a person. And every, and I think every, you know, it's important that we ask, you know, I would ask the same yeah. thing. I'm going to ask the same thing about Trump and how he people, how you all feel he's conducted himself as a candidate, yeah. too. So, I mean, look, I, 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 I mean, listen, as I was with you guys, uh, you know, man, when was that? And uh, what year was it when we when, when we were in Virginia going door to door for, for Obama? When, what, what, what year was that? Oh, man, that was 2008. So in 2008, you know, we, here we were, uh, you know, all of us, different times in our lives. And, you know, we were going to some of the, like the reddest counties in, you know, rural Virginia, going door to door, trying to get people to come vote for Barack Obama. Um, you know, I, I, I believed in that candidate with like every fiber of my body. And, um, you know, I've, I've never, I've, I've never really been drawn to, to, to politics like that. I, I never, I've never been sort of like aligned with somebody's message of, of hope and, and, and belief in a candidate in, in, in the way that I was, you know, for, for Barack Obama. And, um, you know, I remember that night, I, I don't know, if, I'm, I'm sure you guys remember as well, but just like most nights with us, it ends at a bar. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we ended up at this teeny little bar in this teeny little town in Virginia. And, um, you know, it was very red for Virginia. And, you know, as we sometimes do at a bar, we, we kind of forgot ourselves. And, we, you know, the, the more we drank, the louder we got. And we did a big cheers to Barack Obama. And there was a gentleman on the other side of the bar, if you guys remember, um, who uh, kind of yelled back to us, uh, you know, here's to John McCain. And uh, it was funny, as of other times in a bar, sometimes tensions started to rise high and we've never been ones to sort of, uh, you know, run away from that. Um, but what ended happening is that gentleman, I think some of his friends and us ended up all getting together and drinking together and talking. And, you know, I kind of pushed you guys forward when we, when we started getting political to kind of like make the arguments. Um, it's a, it's a completely different world. Um, you know, I, honestly, I, you know, I, I, I never, I believe in Joe Biden. I believe that he's a decent human being. I believe that he's going to surround himself with decent human beings and great people. Do I believe in Joe Biden the way that I believed in Barack Obama? I, I, I don't. I, I don't have that same fervor when I, if I'm being honest. But um, I am absolutely, uh, with every fiber of my body, uh, sure that uh, 
Donald Trump uh, is, is, is not a good human being and not a good president and uh, he needs to be replaced. So that's where, why the fervor is there for me. Gareth, what about you? What's your sense of, and, and, and I take it, how, how do you think both, just looking at, um, you know, every day there's, there's a new thing that happens on this campaign, you know, some new major, you know, it was just three or four weeks ago that the president was diagnosed with COVID, right? Um, so how has it for you as someone who is, you know, not involved in politics as a sort of career as it, but someone who has obviously, we grew up in DC, we followed this as kids. We grew up with parents who love to talk politics, but how has it been for you to just follow the news? I mean, as like, as just a regular person who is, you know, every day you're just dealing, you know, there's this new thing with that Trump does, or, you know, just some, you know, it's been like one thing after another. And how do you keep yourself grounded? How does, how do you know, how are you seeing, how is your wife keeping herself grounded? Like, how are you guys managing the level of, I can, I feel it just, it, you know, this level of anxiety and stress about this election? Yeah, I mean, I look, I think for a while we were doing a very good job of capping our news intake every day. You know, we would do quick peruse of the news in the morning, quick peruse in the evening. But I think the only way around going completely insane is not living this all day, every single day. Like, I don't know how you do this with this constant influx of news stories and Trump related stories from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. I mean, your anxiety levels must be through the roof. And as I've, we've gotten close to the election and I've started to read more of it. I can feel my anxiety level building again now too. You know, you see Trump out there on the campaign trail and like say what you want about him, but the guy's a pretty good closer. You know, it's like you can see him firing up the base, rallying the troops doing it in a nauseating, caustic, combative way, but he is out there doing it. And I think what John was saying about Biden is right. You know, he hasn't made any of the calamitous errors that people said he would. He's been super steady. I think he's been good on coronavirus. I'm not sure he's totally tied up the link between coronavirus and the economy and how you can't have two separate conversations about those two things. They're actually one and the same. And I think it's hard for him because he's got to really win on coronavirus. But people also want to hear a vision of what the next four years are going to look like that goes beyond coronavirus. Like people are looking for optimism. They're looking for hope. And when you're out there having to talk about coronavirus every day, by nature, you're not talking about hope. You're not talking about optimism. Um, and Trump does a pretty good job out there of telling you the world is fantastic, even though it's not. And I think there's a certain point at which people want to hear the world is fantastic, or at least want to hear it's fantastic pretty soon. And so if there's any miss from Biden, I think it's like that slight pivot where you get to that point where you give people a vision of how life can be great again, even if it's not going to happen tomorrow. What are the issues for you guys? What are the issues that, um, so maybe there aren't issues. Uh, maybe there aren't issues that you're voting on. Maybe it's just simply, we've got to get rid of Trump. And that's, and I think that's, uh, and for a lot of, a lot of folks, that's, that is the driving issue, but are there any, are there particular issues that you guys are most, is it, is it sort of getting us through this pandemic? Is it, you know, education, what, what are the issues that you guys are, you've been, you know, you've been following, wanting to hear from the candidates? I mean, look, man, for, for, for me, Dougie, I, I, I think the, you, you know, why it's like kind of just become, it's so, so personal for me. Uh, yeah. I would not want to be, I would not want to like think of myself as the kind of person who is going to go and, and, and vote just because, I don't want somebody to be in, you know, vote totally sort of like with like kind of like a negative mindset. But I mean, listen, man, you know, yesterday was Halloween. Um, you know, that's my uh, I always think about Halloween. Um, it was uh, my cousin Adam's birthday, you know, um, my cousin Adam, you know, as you guys know, he's a middle aged guy, died from the coronavirus pretty, pretty early on, um, you know, left left two daughters, you know, um, you know, your, your father passed from the coronavirus. Um, 
there are so many Americans, I think, that have this like personal connection to that. While meanwhile, this guy like continues to play this thing down and he continues to say it's not real and he continues to laugh at the protocols that people take. And, and I don't want to lead in a, in a negative way, but to me, it's just like it's 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 my, I know my aunt and uncle blame him. And I know that there's a lot of I know that there's a lot of people in this country who literally blame Trump for everything. And I think that that is probably misguided. But at the end of the day, people that I love uh, died from this thing. And meanwhile, he was laughing at it and not taking it seriously and brushing it under the rug for political advantage. And for me, that has become personal and uh it's 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 a it's a it's a non-starter for me and it, it speaks to the the core of the kind of human being he is so uh, yeah i mean that does you know for lack of a better word trump the issues you you, you know for me and it it, it kind of it kind of rests squarely there I, I i think in talking forgive me but I, th- I i think it's really sad now that probably the anecdote that i was talking about before where we're at the bar and we all ended up drinking together I feel like, unfortunately, that doesn't happen as much. I mean, that literally can't happen. Doesn't now, happen. You know? Yeah. But, 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 you know, look, man, as you guys know, I have family members that uh, vote for Trump. There's people that I, I can love that, 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 that vote for Trump. And I'm not going to sit here and just assign sort of this, this kind of like evil rhetoric and vitriol for, for, for every, for, for Trump voters. I don't feel that way. I would love for us to come together. But for me, um, because of those, because of uh, the coronavirus and because of my personal connection to it through my cousin and through, um, you know, your father, man, it's like, you know, that, that shit cuts deep with me. And, and um, I think he's, I I think, I I think the way that he's handled this has been nothing short of, of evil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that there is, um, you know, look, a lot of I think thousands, tens of thousands of people didn't didn't have to die. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, for people, for for families that have been hit by this virus and many people have, you know, many families have been hit by it. Um, that's one of the things that we think about. This is not. Um, this is not something that there there were things that could have been done. Uh, at at uh, that our government could have put in place at a much earlier uh, time frame that would have saved lives, um, and you know, and I and I and I think for a lot of reasons Trump downplayed it. In fact, he told Bob Woodward <laughs> he's on audio saying he downplayed it. Um, you know, he called it a hoax. He said it was going to go away. Um, he talked about it as sort of just like the flu and then told Bob Woodward it was worse than the flu. Um, you know, and then he's, he's, he, he mocked Joe Biden for wearing a mask in the first debate. And then he got coronavirus two days later. And let's be honest about, look, Joe, Donald Trump, unlike most Americans had access to the best care that you could get care. That was actually, no, Doug, he put on his superhero cape. <laughs> That's flew right. Flew around the hospital. He's such a badass. Yeah. Beat up yeah. COVID with his bare hands. Yeah. Right, right. He got first of all, and and let's and and folks, Walter Reed. Walter Reed is in uh, Maryland, um, and it's a it's a government funded hospital <laughs> that the president got the best quality care. He had access to uh, multiple treatments that most Americans, in fact almost no one has access to. Um, and he was able to survive. And, uh, but many people didn't, don't have access to the care that he has. And it wasn't anything unique to Donald Trump or that he was some sort of superhuman um, person who was, you know, no, he just happened to be, he's the president of the United States. He happened to have great care. They caught it early. And, um, you know, for these people who, look at him and see this as some, you know, and this is what bothers me is that there are people who I think look at Trump and other people who survived COVID and say, oh, well, there must be something about them, right? Or that's, that makes them stronger than the folks who didn't survive, which is a bunch of bullshit, right? 
if my dad had the same access to care that Trump had and had was able to get, you know, Regeneron and these antibody cocktails and things like that, he probably would have been alive, too. Right. But I, I, the whole discussion, the, the, is it, it's, it's just so crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, and, and to, say, to, to say, you know, the first thing you hear out of anybody's mouth, oh, well, were there pre-existing conditions as if or, or uh, as if to sort of say, well, that, then in that case, it's OK that we're losing people. You know, I mean, right, like right. if this had been a terrorist who came in and had killed a foreign terrorist who had come in and killed this many Americans. And if the president of the United States had said, ah, that's not a real threat, it'll be gone by the summer. Don't worry about that. I mean, we, we, we'd have the guy's head. And, and it's just a shame that it, it, it takes being this personally connected with it for you to feel that. And, and um, I, yeah. I, I, hope that, I hope that the amount of Americans that do have that personal connection, I hope it does, you know, I, I don't want that number to rise. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think I we mean, also this is- have to, we got to get back to a place too. And I think this is the other issue that like, I know I'm voting on and I think you guys are too. It's just, we've got to restore some belief in the country that truth actually exists, that truth is a thing that, you know, John, when you talk about that story of us sitting down at that bar in in Virginia, you know, there were some common facts that we could sit down with McCain voters and actually agree on. And what Trump has done that's worse than anything else is he's obliterated fact and truth. You just lie with such proficiency and with such volume that it moves the needle away from any common fact pattern that people can use as a basis for a conversation. And now where we sit is there's two total, there's a set of facts and then there's a set of mistruths that have been told so many times that they get repeated like they are fact. And if we go down that road for another four years, I just really, really worry about our ability to ever repair the fabric of what's the underpinning of basic conversation, which is like, there are facts that we actually can agree on that form the basis of an accurate, truthful conversation between people. Yeah. And, but, you know, look, that's exactly what Trump has, you know, Trump's whole approach is that he's tried to undermine uh, media, the media, right? The j- journalists who cover him so that, um, and I think he told Leslie Stahl this, you know, he does this so that when there's negative stories, his supporters don't believe it. Right. And that is, and it's been a full fledged, we all grew up playing basketball. Right. And, um, you know, it's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like, um, you know, in the NBA, when you have a, when you have a head coach or when you have a star player, who's always sort of in the ref's ears, right. Constantly calling, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta call that foul. Right. Or why didn't you call that foul? And it's just constantly working the refs to the point where the idea is that the ref is going to be making calls, um, in your favor and letting things go. Now, what's happened now in many instances for Trump supporters, there is no referee. There's not even a referee anymore. They don't believe in their referee or their where they their information all flows from the White House. It goes through um, uh, right wing media channels. It ends up on Fox. It ends up on Facebook. And that's where all the information is coming. And there's no one who is saying, uh, actually, that's bullshit. Right. Or that's not true. And that's that to me is very, you know, I think one of the more, you know, dangerous things, as you point out, uh, both you guys point out about just the fact that, you know, that people we're not the game. We're not playing the same game. Right. There's part of the country that's playing a game that is based on science and data and facts. Another part of the country is not. It's based off of Donald Trump and what Donald Trump tells them. And my hope is and I think what I've seen in some some cases um, is that there's a portion of that part of the country who was who who supported Donald Trump in 16 because, you know what, they just they didn't like Hillary Clinton or they wanted to change or they felt like he could shake things up. They didn't really like Trump. And and now there, there's a portion of those folks who are like, you know what, this is just exhausting. You know, like what we're watching is exhausting. I, I think that that right there, I mean, I, I think that's the single biggest reason to really, you know, at least for me that I connect and, and, and do support Joe Biden and, and, and his ability is, look, at the end of the day, uh, 
there's all this bombast and rhetoric on, on both sides. And let's be honest, the, the, the echo chamber exists everywhere. It's, uh, you know, social media traps us this way and we can't, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to get out of it. Um, I, I, I think that like in any relationship, you know, that's, that's fractured or um, sick, uh, you got to clean your own side of the street first. It's the only thing that you can take care of. And the, the, the bottom line is when we were in that bar in Virginia, at the end of the day, we all respected John McCain. And, and, and we could find issues where we could find respect and we could find common ground with people that were voting for John McCain. And I think that, that Trump in four years now has shown literally no interest in uniting anybody. No he doesn't, he doesn't even respect John McCain. He doesn't even exist. Exactly. So I think that, you know, what I think Joe Biden has always been able to do through his career and being, you know, a, a genuine statesman um, is, is, is to reach across. And, and, and I mean, he always says it. I want to be president for everybody. And I think even just saying that does sort of start to bridge the divide and at least make it possible to like ha start having those conversations. And I don't think the answer is for us to say is for, you know, Democrats who say Trump supporters are stupid or all Trump supporters are racist or all and I and, and I get it. I understand why there's so much anger there. And I and and, and, and I, I'm telling you, I'm angry, but we have got to start reaching across to, 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 to heal and, and 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 to find common ground and things that we can all agree on. And like one thing we know is that will not happen with this dude. It's and 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 Joe Biden, that is kind of what he stands for. And even if you look at what people on the far left don't like the most about Joe Biden historically is that he's been, he's, he's kind of lived in the center of things. And so I, 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 I think that that does make him a, a, a bit tailor made for the, for the moment. And um, that's certainly why, why he has my support. Yeah. I mean, I agree, doc. I mean, I would just say too, like, I really hope if Biden does win the, the democratic party, like he's kind of run his campaign on being the bigger man, right? Like being sure. the honest guy, being the guy who you can actually, take it as word, who's going to do the right thing, who's going to heal the country. I just really hope if he wins, he doesn't do things like packing the Supreme Court because all of that stuff is just going to make this situation worse. And it is literally the, it's the antithesis of bringing people together. You know, And it's like, you can say what you want about the Supreme Court, but ultimately Republicans had the right to do what they did. You could say Democrats got hoodwinked and bamboozled, which they did, yeah. but you can't say they didn't have the right to do it. So I just hope Biden actually, like if he wins, he lives by it. He doesn't kind of turn to this vindictive way of governing, which is like, you guys had your chance. You pushed the envelope too far and I'm going to take everything I can take in my turn in power, but instead level sets and shows the country what governing actually looks like and what a grown up being in the White House actually looks like. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, look, you know, I, I, there was a point, in, you know, when I first started this podcast with my partner, Adrian, you know, we were, you know, publicly, we, we, were, we were neutral. I always had privately felt like Joe Biden was the best candidate to be the nominee for a lot of different reasons, in part because I just think Joe Biden's a really good dude, a really decent man who's gone through a lot of shit in his life and has been able to recover from it. And he shows a level of empathy towards people who have been through pain, who are going through pain, who have a stutter, you know, whatever it may be. He looks he's just a genuine guy. And, you know, Trump won in 2016 because I think people thought that there was an authenticity about him that they liked. And I actually think the same thing goes with Joe Biden this time around in terms of um, you sort of see, you know, he hasn't changed since he started running this campaign. He's basically run, you know, he's kept the same message, message discipline. Um, you know what uh, he is. He, he hasn't tried to sort of remake himself because he's in the general election or remake himself in the in the Democratic primary. He is who he is. And I and that's one of the things that I really appreciated, appreciate about him when he got in and appreciate him as a candidate. You know, does he is he does he generate the same emotion and feelings about Barack Obama? No, but I don't know if there's anyone who could in terms of my life as a black man in this country being able to vote for the first black president. I mean, it's going to be hard to match that. Right. Yeah. But when I look at sort of this moment in time and what this country needs, I don't know if there's actually someone who is better fit, a better fit 
for being president than Joe Biden and being able to sort of reach out to all corners of the country. Um, but, you know, l- d- d- uh, yeah. you asked one, one just quick thing you, you asked before, cause you and I were talking a while ago about like, you know, the election and are there these hidden Trump voters? Yeah. And, you know, it, it just, as you were talking, it really made me think a little bit, you know, I, I, I think maybe there were in the last election, but I think now there's Trump voters feel a lot of pride in being part of this like contrarian club where you're kind of sticking it to the establishment every time you stand outside a rally and hold up a Trump sign. And I don't think you're seeing a lot of apprehension or bashfulness from a lot of Trump voters this time around. I mean, we all watch the news. You know, there's there's people trying to run biden campaign vehicles off the road in texas so like the idea that there's all these people who are too embarrassed now to say they vote for trump in pennsylvania i just don't buy that stuff anymore um i think that the polls are accurately actually reflecting um what the state of affairs is yeah i don't see any evidence of shy trump voters i think over the course of maybe they you know i think over the course of the last three or four years they've gotten emboldened you know you know, they're more, you know, they're definitely out there and good for, you know, look, if they, to me, actually, and you, you know, we have these conversations on text between all of us and, and other, a couple of our other buddies. And to me, actually, <clears throat> as it relates to Trump supporters, if you really like Trump and you're voting for him, I'm going to disagree with that, but okay. Like I, I kind of like, I respect the fact that you like, you know, you've sort of, you're making a decision to vote for someone that you, for whatever reason you like. What I have a hard time supporting is those people who are like, well, we need to, we're going to, I, 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 you know, I hate Donald Trump, um, but I got to send a message. We've got to like break the system and rebuild it. And so the only way to do that is by voting for Trump or voting for a third party. That to me is where I have a real issue with people in terms of how they have perceived this election. We, I think we saw some of that in 2016 where a lot of third party votes went to Jill Stein and um, uh, I think Gary Johnson, what was his name? Gary Johnson, I can't even remember, yeah. but there was, but you know, there was a third party vote that made a difference. And so, you know, I don't know. I just, that to me is a, is a it really rubs me the wrong way, you know, because things are already bad. I mean, 200 plus thousand people have died. The economy is in a depression. Um, you know, we've got our, uh, you know, our relationships across the world are, ha- are, are um, in tatters. You know, um, we aren't the, we aren't perceived as the leader uh, of the, of the free world like we used to. We've got- But Dougie, what's your choice? You either that or you've got to vote for the, the Biden family, crim- the, the criminal crime syndicate of the Bidens, you know? Isn't that, but that's the, yeah. I mean, look, that's the bullshit that I think a lot of, syndicate is it's just crazy. It's crazy. I, I think more than anything else. So look, man, I, I, I mean, you know how it is. You know, people want to have a good time, right? People want to be told things aren't so bad. And I, and, and I do hear, and I, I, I get, um, and, and I don't mean this in sort of like a belittling way, but I get if you got one guy being like, we're great. Everything's like, I can fix all this. Everything's going to be awesome. And the other guy's saying, doom and gloom and like you know we're, we're really fucked here like i get the human phenomenon that's kind of want you to like yeah but uh, that's not that's not people. johnny that's not even what i'm talking i'm talking about those people who don't like trump and no, their no. vote against <laughs> biden is to I, I, is to make the system so bad is to blow up the system make it so bad so that we have to somehow start over from a new beginning and rebuild our political system and that voting for trump is the only way like things aren't bad enough Right. We need no, to make I, them so bad that th- that it causes m- massive, massive change. And by and so that that is my beat. That's that's who I have a, beat, a problem with. You see, I see. And I agree. I, I you know, like, like what, the, what the fuck do I know? But I, I don't think that there's that many of those. I, I think there's people who think, you know, things are bad. But with Biden, they could get a lot worse. I don't like Trump as the guy. But like all this doom and gloom, like it could get worse. And I think the answer is it's, it's going back to your, your sports metaphor about, you know, playing basketball and complaining about the fouls. Like, you know, once you start complaining about the fouls all the time, once you start cheating, once some guy scores a basket and you say, no, you didn't score a basket, you start changing the score, the, the entire game changes. It, 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 it's like if you're going to be willing to lie, cheat and steal, everything changes, right? 
to me, I think that like the only like way- how you used to play Nintendo when we were kids. Hey, listen, man. Hey, <laughs> hit listen, the reset, man. Re- hitting don't, the reset button on pro don't wrestling. Hate me because you hate me, like the cough and then you hit the reset. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> point point being, I want to go back to the 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 culture of our undefeated 1993 high school football team and and a guy named Coach Entwistle who who led us to being the laughing stock to, to uh, going undefeated. And, you know, his saying was, there's no fly boys here. We're all grunts. And um, I, 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 I think there's nothing to me more American than saying, Hey, listen, we are all in this together. We all have to do our part. We all have to engage. We all have to start treating each other with respect. That's what happened with the New Deal. That's what happened. That's what happened anytime this country has lifted itself out of something. And that really does seem to be, to me, what Joe Biden's about. He's not saying, hey, I alone can fix this. He's not saying I'm the guy to get, he's saying I can bring us together. And I think that do not, if, if the other answer is I got this fucker in the bag, just follow me anywhere. I'm the man. I'm the greatest. I kicked COVID. I like, that is not the answer. And that is so un-American. And, and I think we need that all grunts, no fly boy attitude right now. And, and to me, that is a, a, a message of positivity that I think people, people could get behind. And I, and I, and I wish more people associated that with Joe Biden, the way that I, that, that I, that I think we do. Gareth, uh, both you guys, I mean, we, we've, we've talked a bunch over our lives sort of about, you know, sort of what it means to be a, you know, a man, right? Masculinity, masculinity what does that mean? Um, what is being tough? What is being, you know, all of those things that you, as, you, as, a, as a boy, you, you try to figure out, right? You try to sort out what all this stuff means. And um, and John, we tapped we talked a little bit about this um, when you were last on and sort of the the, you know, masculinity today, the sort of the view of masculine masculinity, patriotism. Um, And one of the things that I thought that you said that I thought was really interesting about uh, Trump, other than the fact that he was a total fake and a phony on these issues is that his view was unbending. It was, um, you know, it was sort of his way or the highway. And so as you guys, I mean, look, you guys are both raising um, young boys to hopefully to be men. Um, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of role model do you see? And that may even be doing too much justice to Trump, but like as a president, as someone that your kids are going to see on television, potentially for the next four years, what do you think are the, what are you trying to sort of combat that Trump is put giving off in terms of what it means to be a man in this country? You know, it's so interesting though, because I think that, you know, my kids are almost same age as John's eight, eight, six, and three. And my two older kids are smart enough already that they know Trump's a clown. Like my eight and a half year old boy watches him on TV and it runs contrary to everything that they're being like taught in school. They're learning about stereotypes. They're learning about equality and diversity. They're learning about like what it means to be a citizen. And in the middle of all those classes, you're watching this guy on the other side who is literally the antithesis of every lesson that they're being taught in school. So what I'm finding super interesting is like, I don't even need to talk to my oldest son that much about it. He's the one watching the news and saying to me over dinner, like, dad, this guy's a total clown. Like, why is this guy such a jerk? Why is he so rude to everybody? Why does he insult Joe Biden all the time? And so I just find that the way kids are being schooled and raised in a way now, even outside of the the environment of parents, which is actually taking them to a place where Donald Trump can't win their hearts and minds. Because I think just in a lot of places in this country, socially, we're now moving in a different direction. And that actually gives me some hope too. Johnny, you've talked, I think, you know, you've, you've, we've talked a lot about this. What's your, I mean, what's your, what's your take on this? How do you, you know, you got two boys. How do you, how do you, how are you raising them in a way that 
is, I mean, because we're seeing a, a one person who has this, is trying to portray what it means to be this tough guy and what it means to be this, really he's trying to, you know, he's like the manliest of men, this, you know, like, and, and I think there's something that his supporters derive from that. But deep in his soul, you know, he's sort of like those people that we grew up with who were weak when you actually confronted them, you know, like when you stood up and ma- when you stood up for yourself, it's like he's the quintessential bully. You punch right? a bully in the mouth, they usually wet their pants, right? I mean, like that's the that's the bottom line. And 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 I think that I don't know, man. I I I, I I, I, I mean, I've said before, you know, I, I, I think there's like nothing weaker or less patriotic uh, or less, for lack of a better word, masculine than to say I'm completely I'm completely unbending and unwilling to listen to you or admit any sort of sense that 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 you could be right or or or, or any willingness to sit down with somebody who believes or thinks differently than you and and um, to open your heart or open your mind to them in any way. I think you know, the mark of strength to me is uh, humility, is to understand that there's always uh, something you can learn from somebody, that there's always something, there's always an opportunity to grow. There's always a, an opportunity to get better. And that's definitely something I'm trying to instill uh, with, with, with my boys, with all my children. And, um, you, you know, unfortunately, like I said last time, the rigidity and the sort of rigor in which people are hanging on to their, you know, flags right now is being confused with patriotism, where I would argue that it's really the opposite is true. Uh, again, your willingness to, to um, be strong, sort of like a palm tree that, 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 um, that, that, that can move and that can bend and that can learn and that can grow rather than just sort of stay rigid like an oak. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the, the first rule of anybody, I mean, all of us have you know, studied martial arts. All of us have had our own experiences with um, fighting. The, the, the first experience with the, the, the first thing any real fighter will tell you is there's always somebody tougher. There's, there's always more to learn. There's always more to grow. And to sort of cut that off to me is as, is as weak and pathetic as, as, as anything I've ever seen. And as a, as a role model, I, I, I mean, to, to me, uh, you know, you said it, I, I, I think that that guy is a complete and utter clown. I mean, a complete. And utter yeah. Clown. And John, you and I talk about this all the time. I mean, if I found out that, and I know you feel the same way, if like, if I found out that, you know, my son was picking on the weakest kid in class. I would whoop his ass. That's right. You know, I just think there's just th- there's basic like time tested things about masculinity where like you just if you're a real man, you don't pick on the weakest person. You don't you know, mock yeah. people who can't right. defend themselves. And you raise your children to know not only not to do that, but there's consequences in your own home if they do. But, but also that if you are doing that, that is clearly coming from this inner, this, inner <laughs> yeah. this weakness and this own knowledge that you yourself are pathetic. It's it's only the people that it all has to do with the sickness and weakness of, of you and that anybody who behaves that way, that's where it's coming from. I mean, these are like easy this is easy easy shit especially when you're a parent you you deal with it every day oh yeah you see that bully that's because he's a coward you know that's because he's deathly afraid yeah go lift up the kid go find the kid that's not talking to anybody else go be there for him that's strength that's power that's what being a man is and uh i mean it's it's uh it's it's so utterly clear and i think my frustration with this when we talk about you know the trump supporters that i know and love uh the, the thing that is so frustrating to me through all of this has been I know that they know that. And I know that if that same guy went into their gym or entered into a bar that they were at or entered into their family's table and was speaking the way that they were speaking, they would be told to leave. They would be told to cut that shit out. And um, I, th- that, that's the disconnect for me that I've never been able to understand. And just to be able to lie with fluency and, and bombast and just talk a bunch of shit. Somehow that was confused with like authenticity and that was confused with like strength and, and manliness and power. But like, this is a guy who's been handed everything who is, who is, who is, who's, who's like success has always been in, in this strangely sort of, it's always been through this manipulated prism and it's always been based on optics, not reality. And, uh, 
there, there there's there's not to me that guy there's literally nothing strong physically mentally or emotionally about that guy whatsoever and i i, I that that part of it will always be an enigma to me how you guys feeling a couple days out from the election how you feeling like what i gareth you asked me this i have a, i had an analogy but how you feeling man you know, man, I'm like, I, I, don't, I feel like I don't have a choice but to be cautiously optimistic. Like, I'm not the type of person who's going to sit here and start believing the world's coming to an end, you know, two days before I actually have the facts to establish that. I just continue to believe that there's enough smart, sensible people in this country who are going to come to their senses this time around. Look, I think it's going to be close. I think there's a chance that Biden loses. But I think just taking a step back and objectively looking about that, looking at this, I think he wins. I think my biggest concern is, you know, between lawsuits and voter suppression, I, I think the Republican way of winning elections has been uh, come in a lot of senses trying to steal it. How do you make it so the fewest people can vote? How do you sue your way into not counting ballots afterwards? How do you incite people to not only march in the streets, but march in the streets in a way that's clearly intended to intimidate other people from voting? You know, so I think there's just this whole backdrop behind the actual like vote itself, which actually worries me more. And my big concern is if this comes down to one state like Pennsylvania and we're five days after the election and we still don't know what the outcome is and there's lawsuits everywhere. You know, my concern is more what that does to the fabric of the country, even than the outcome itself. Johnny, how you feeling, man? I, look, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm with, I mean, look, man, I'm, 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 I'm worried, man. I, I think, you, you, you know, I think things are, I think we're in a tough, I think we're in a tough place right now, no matter how you cut it. And I don't think that there's any sort of like silver bullet or magic bullet that's just going to sort of eradicate, you know, you know, you know, the, 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 the situation that we're in right now. That being said, um, I believe in my I, I believe in um, I believe uh, in my family and uh, I believe in my friends. I believe in you guys. I believe that there's enough people out there that sort of feel this way, that are hunger, hungry for connection, that are really like sick of the discord, sick of the division. Um, and I think that, you know, no matter what happens, no matter who wins here, like these kinds of conversations and, 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 and really like, just like kind of reaching out and, and, and quelling the flames a little bit is going to be needed no matter what. And so I'll always say like, you know, move forward with, with optimism, but, uh, you know, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I certainly don't think kind of like anything's in the bag and I don't think just getting rid of Trump is gonna get rid of all the, the shit that we're dealing with anyways. I mean, we're still in the middle of this pandemic and the only way we get through it is if we come together. And I think all we can do again is look at our own side of the street and look at our own lives, how we talk to our children, how we talk to each other, how we talk to people that think and feel differently than we do. And, 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 you know, I, I don't want to get all kumbaya, but again, to me, the, 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 the mark of, you know, real strength and, 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 and to me, what being a man is about is being able to have the courage to, you know, walk across that line and, um, you know, um, connect with somebody and shake somebody's hand and say, Hey, look, man, like I, 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 you know, let's, let's try to come together here. Let's try to meet in the middle. We all love our children. We all want this country to be healthy and prosperous and we got to find every Avenue that we can to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm watching some sports team from Maryland, from, from the DC region <laughs> in the playoffs, you know, up like two games to one, and you're just sitting there, you know, you've got your one eye like this and you're just thinking, you know, you're just, and, and I think there's, I don't know if there are other fans around the country, country like this, but I just think like within this region and the DC region, we just tend to think the worst is going to happen, especially with some of the teams that we've had in over the years and the caps being one of them. And I told Gareth, I was like, he was like, how are you doing? I'm like, I feel like I did watching the caps in 2018. Right. right. They went up winning the Stanley cup uh, or the Nats in 19, but it was like, it just such an emotional roller coaster where you think you're going to win. You think you're going to lose and you can't watch it. And it's just so draining. And obviously the stakes here are much higher, but 
you know, just that sense of like, almost like being nauseous. <laughs> but you have, and you have 2016 contributing to that too. You know, yeah. I, I find the same thing. I saw there was a, a poll, uh, the editorial page of the, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette came out for Trump this morning. And I was like, that's it. We've lost Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's all over. It's one editorial and one paper two days before an election. It's like, it's none of this stuff matters, but it's all the psychology behind how we think about it. So I'm, I'm staying optimistic. Yep. Yep. While we were doing this, I got a call from uh, our, our old friend, Craig Cohen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to call him back. Yeah. Um, guys, uh, thanks for coming on the show again, uh, Johnny. And uh, Gareth, thanks for your inaugural appearance on uh, the Electables. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, for it's Sunday, November 1st, so we're about 48 hours from Election Day. So, you guys do what you need to do to stay sane, whatever that is. Uh, I don't even want to ask you. But, is it too uh, easy, too early for a uh, gin martini or? Uh, no, 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 no. Dirty, <laughs> dirty vodka martinis are going to be flowing uh, like water for the next three days in the Thornhill household. I may actually have um, a Bloody Mary right now. Um, yeah, but, um, up, fellas. Love you guys. It was great to see you. Um, and uh, Gareth, I'll be calling you nonstop on uh, election day. And <laughs> I look we'll be talking to about jumping off bridges or whatever. <laughs> Michael, right, thanks again. Absolutely. Enjoyed this one. Johnny Bernthal, Gareth Schweitzer, my two best friends. Uh, our other best fun. friend decided not to uh, join yeah. us today. He had, yeah. he evidently had stuff to do with his kids. Yeah. <laughs> Slagger. All right, but, uh, we'll have him on. Thanks guys. Have a great rest of your weekend. Later, bro. For my producer, Michael Pelquin, this has been uh, uh, a, a special edition of The Electables on a Sunday. And uh, um, uh, this is Doug Thornell. And uh, look forward to the next episode, probably going to be coming after the election. Hopefully we have good news to go over. Um, but uh, um, everyone, if you haven't voted, go out and vote. You know, you got just a, you know, you got election day coming up. Make your voices heard, uh, volunteer, uh, help take folks to the polls. Um, it is uh, just too important. Uh, we've got to vote like our lives depend on it. So with that, I'll see you all uh, on another edition of The Electables. <laughs>